Hey everybody, it's Daniel Andonino, candidate for Florida House District 36 on our second episode of Donuts with Dan. With me today is my campaign manager slash communications director, Casey Vance. Hi everyone. And she's going to basically take over kind of hosting this and guiding the conversation. So uh, here's Casey. Hi guys. So today we're going to talk about um, some topics that are going to relate to the town halls that the Florida Democratic Party and the Pasco Democratic Party are working on together. Um, this week's, this past week's town hall was reproductive rights, and this upcoming one is health care. So today's episode is going to be on reproductive rights, and um, the next episode that we'll release will be covering the health care topics for town halls. So without further ado, we're going to start our conversation about reproductive rights. Um, so one of the first things that pops into my head when we talk about reproductive rights is obviously um, the right to an abortion that's guaranteed by Roe and that we go through all of these different Supreme Court cases constantly um, protecting and upholding the decisions made in Roe v. Wade. But I think there are more important topics that go along with the Roe decision and the right to have an abortion um, that are sometimes overlooked. So I think that we can talk about some of those today. Yeah, definitely. Um, the One of the first things that I think is most important in the idea of just decreasing abortions is making sure that um, young people across our state have an education that, that supports them and leads them in the direction of safety and precautions when participating in sexual activities. And I think that that stems from our public school systems um, across the state, public school systems um, don't have a mandated structure. Um, so I was wondering if you had any concepts or ideas on how we could make a more standard curriculum for sexual education. Yeah, um, I mean, like you said, the state of Florida leaves the curriculum up to each district, or basically each county here. So each school district and each and sometimes even into each school are getting different sexual edu uh, sex education um, curriculum and information and some most are probably abstinent uh, abstinence only so I think we need to do something like the CDC has uh, 16 critical sexual health and education topics and um, less than half the schools across the country e even so probably barely any in Florida are, are following any um, some of those things is, uh, I mean, there are, uh, one of them is benefits of being abstinent. Uh, I do think, you know, there, that is a reasonable thing to teach to uh, younger teenagers, especially. Um, I think there, uh, how to access valid and reliable health information products and services, um, how, to, how HIV and other STDs are transmitted, the health consequences of HIV, other STDs and pregnancy. Um, how to obtain condoms, the effectiveness of condoms, uh, things like that that should be all addressed and um, that we're just not teaching our kids. Um, I think if you go back to uh, probably the George W. Bush era when abstinence-only education became really ingrained in our schools, you saw teenage pregnancies rise. Um, I do remember uh, I was in high school under George W. Bush, but we actually had some comprehensive uh, sex education and they taught, we knew to go if we wanted free condoms, they were available at the health departments. Um, and they showed us how to put a condom on a banana, things like that. Um, um, we so, never even learned that in yeah. high school. Like 
my school was essentially the the principle for Mean Girls, where it was like, don't have sex or you'll get <laughs> pregnant and die. It was it was horrible. And I mean, like, granted, a lot of our students, by the time they're in high school and we're receiving this education, are aware of sex and how sex works, but not providing them that extra support and that extra education is a failure, I think, of our schools. Right, I, definitely. I mean, the, our schools are supposed to be the source of knowledge and education. We talk about um, how schools don't prepare kids for a regular life, like why don't we teach kids how to do taxes, how to do, you know, buy a car, these things. Well, this comes along with it. This is a natural so, part yeah. of life and growing up, and we're ignoring that part. And uh, so, there, I mean, luckily, your uh, your younger millennial generation can Google some questions. Yeah, I mean that's what I did. Like yeah. I had to Google things because my but teachers weren't teaching. We shouldn't anything. we shouldn't go that far. No. You should be able to learn uh, age appropriate sexual education in schools. Yeah, I remember when I was seventeen or eighteen in one of my classes. I won't say which because I don't want to get my teacher in trouble. But she told us like I'm going to teach you about STDs and certain um, protective methods and and. Uh, how you can access contraceptives and all of these things that um, no one had ever told us before. And she was like, don't tell anyone that I'm teaching you this because I'll get fired. And that, to me, was insane. It is very much insane. Like, I think, especially for young women, there's probably a lot more questions and changes. And Sure. Uh, I know growing up, I didn't have too many. But yeah. I came from a very weird liberal household that was very yeah. open about sex and things so I didn't have to really go to school for those qu uh, kinds of questions I could ask oddly my grandmother and uh, that was yeah I had a book my mom gave me a book <laughs> and was like come ask me questions if you have questions and of course I didn't um, because like who's gonna do that so right. I think that it would be great if we could have some sort of standardized system that gives us more than just don't have sex or you'll get pregnant and die. Yes, yes, it should de it should definitely be more than that. And uh, the CDC, like we said, have some guidelines here that we should be following. And um, I think in this current time, I was about to say the same the, thing. <laughs> the CDC is probably we, we probably shouldn't be ignoring the CDC on any count. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had mentioned uh, that my teacher had told us sort of how we can receive contraceptives and how we can go about getting these as young women. Um, do you have any ideas or any, um, I guess, pathways to increasing that ability for women, um, for, for young girls or for women who don't have the access necessarily to contraceptives? Um, I mean, I think personally, my beliefs here and uh, should be contraceptives, should be um, available over the counter without a prescription um, and uh, possibly available on a sliding scale of affordability. Um, I think uh, there are, um, Maryland passed something called the Contraceptive Equity Act, which ensures coverage of all forms of contraceptive for men and women, uh, including over the counter birth control, at little to no cost. Um, I th there's Sorry, uh, Utah and D.C. recently passed measures to allow pharmacists to dispense uh, contraceptives without a doctor's prescription. Um, I think we should also be expanding insurance coverage to the state level for student populations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, maybe looking at 
providing some sort of incentive or coverage um, for full-service health care, including contraceptive care on college campuses, where that's probably where a lot of this is taking place, you know, a lot yeah, of the exploration is taking place, and uh, we need to be definitely, in every way, uh, expanding access to health care, especially in rural areas. Mm -hmm. um, that's where over-the-counter would really come in uh, to come into play. Yeah. And, I, and it, it's obviously possible, like there are organizations and, and companies and businesses whose whole model of, of I guess, model of business, I don't know <laughs> how businesses work. Um, they tend to have business models. There it is. So, so their business model is providing low cost contraceptives to women easily and accessibly by having on, because they, it's still by prescription, so they have doctors and pharmacists on staff that are able to prescribe and um, distribute these medications at little to no cost. Um, so it's clearly possible. It's just a matter of implementing I mean, it. Like, and I think we, we focus so much on it being called like birth control, but it, it's a hormone that helps women in so many other ways. Yeah. Um, endometriosis and things like that and Absolutely. just regulating your period because I've known uh, I think it was my mother um, when she was younger would have debilitating cramps yeah and the so many you know, women do right and birth control helps regulate so now yeah. you might not even have a period so you yeah. don't have to deal with that um, I, it's just it's women a way for women to stay healthy and Absolutely. Uh, I think that's something we should be looking at instead of just focused on that small little point that it, it stops pregnancy as well like right. it's, a, it's good I mean that's what it, a main use but it has so many other right uh, uses and purposes for women and Absolutely. limiting that access feels controlling and um, also cruel to limit the access that women have to uh, to medicines that help them yeah, I think that's a great point. I think I think the idea that everything about reproductive health care is, is bad or is um, something that needs to be controlled and limited is such a narrow mindset and a, a narrow way to consider this topic. But unfortunately, it's a way that a lot of people in, especially in southern states, consider things. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a great point to, to address that. Reproductive care is so much more than stopping pregnancies, than abortions. It's about protecting women and protecting their reproductive rights and protecting anyone who has reproductive rights. Right. Um, and, and health. Like, yeah. Just, I mean, just straight up your health. Yeah. Limiting care uh, for women is just completely uh, blocking off an entire, like over half of the population mm -hmm. getting real health care. Mm -hmm. All because... What like I can't comprehend personally. I cannot comprehend the reason of why. I mean, we can get into that, but right. that's a, a private conversation. It's a whole other <laughs> yeah. That's another whole episode. Another episode um, about why we have some narrow-minded thoughts. Um, I had another question for you, yeah. and it's about these um, pregnancy support clinics. Um, so, for anyone who's listening right now. Um, pregnancy support clinics are sometimes called fake clinics. They sort of appear to function like a Planned Parenthood or like a women's health facility, um, but they're not. They are um, private organizations that get money from the state, um, that don't offer medical service. They, they strictly um, 
try to encourage women to continue with their pregnancies and to and to take their pregnancy to full term, um, which is not what the people, not necessarily what the people going in there are looking for. They're looking for unbiased information and medical advice and um, sexual education and, and how they can get the help that they need. Um, and unfortunately, my issue is that these, these pregnancy support organizations um, as a unit, as a network, are getting $4 million from the state to fund them. So how are you thinking we could adjust that or, or focus that to be less, um, I guess, coercive and, and restrictive? Um, well, uh, I think we need to demand more oversight from the Department of Health to ensure that publicly funded centers aren't promoting a religious agenda. Mm -hmm. The law specifically states that these centers must provide information in a non-coercive manner, must not include religious content, and must provide re uh, references if they give women any medical information, mm -hmm. but there's no evidence of, where, of us actually enforcing that law. Gotcha. So we need to either... Put, like require a designation in the name of what they are. Um, we need to, um, if they want to continue to get funding, we have to then go into each of these clinics and actually see what is going on. Um, so maybe like someone from the health department yes. being specifically set to go into these health yeah. clinics and sort of do like a, like a health inspection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we can do secret shoppers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that's, I think that's great. I think the, the biggest issue is that these these centers don't have anyone really coming in and inspecting them and making sure that the women who are entering them are safe and secure. It kind of feels like a $4 million wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, yeah. you'll get this, don't worry about it, continue doing what you're doing. And I, I, that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's... Yeah, I don't think it's really helping anybody. And I think more over... Especially if they're getting public uh, taxpayer dollars... We should be regulating and keeping tabs on where our money's going and mm -hmm. making sure it's being done properly. Mm -hmm. I don't think oversight is a bad thing on any form. Yeah, I agree. Well, the last topic that I kind of want to bring to everyone's attention is the idea of parental consent. Um, we, in, in our state, we have to require any minor who's seeking an abortion to get parental consent from... Um, adults, guardians, parents, whoever is in charge of this minor. Um, my issue with that is that there have been significant amount of cases, Supreme Court cases, that we are sort of bypassing. I'm going to cut in oh, here no. and uh, just for the record say that Casey is in law school, so... We just went over these cases. That's the only reason I'm... I'm <laughs> no, no, that's good. This. That's good. This knowledge and background is great. So continue. So there's so, been Supreme Court cases. Okay, so between Roe v. Wade and um, the Casey case, which is hilarious in all of my classes... The case is not hilarious, let me clarify that. But in all of my classes, everyone um, laughs because they think that they're talking about me and that I'm getting cold called, and I'm not. Um, but it's terrifying every single time. So between Roe and the Casey case, um, there are a bunch of cases that clarify what can and can't be required for someone to get an abortion. And Supreme Court cases have ruled that you can't require a woman to get her, her husband's permission. Um, you can't require a child to get their parents' permission. The contraception has to be 
available to minors, just the same as it is available to adults. And so these Supreme Court cases have established that we can't require parental consent. But in the state of Florida, we have kind of worked around that by using judicial bypass, which means they don't have to get parental consent, but they do have to get permission from the state. So what, do you have a anything to say or add or I mean, that, needs that to go. concerns you? The whole or? thing concerns me. Yeah. Um, I don't think the state should be playing parent. Um, if we're not requiring the children, uh, the, the people wanting, seeking an abortion to get any kind of consent, um, except if they go, uh, but they have to go, you know, through the ju uh, judicial process, we're still asking somebody for consent. Right. Um, and that, therefore, we are limiting access. And um, as a 16, 15-year-old, 17-year-old uh, girl or um, person and that, that are, that's looking to get an abortion, um, going to the court system is probably just as intimidating uh, and possibly more than going to your parent. And I've had a couple discussions where um, people have said, you know, uh, my child came to me and we've, you know, kind of worked out a system. And uh, that, that's great in that case. And I hope that your, your, your children and, uh, have that relationship with their parent, that they can come to them and, and figure out the best course of action for them. But that's not always the case. Yeah, I would say more often than not, not it's not right. the case. Right. I mean, so we shouldn't be at going f going from parents to like a parent state mm -hmm. where where they have to come ask somebody's person basically the the judge, right? It's a judge that they Yeah, it's, it's, a court. it's judicial. So yeah. you would have to go through to the court system and basically sign a paper and say I am who I say I am and I want to get an abortion and I can't tell my parents and the judge will decide if you are mature enough to make this decision without your parents permission. But like right there, isn't that a bit of an asinine thing? Absolutely. If yeah. you're not mature enough to seek an abortion without parental consent, but you, you're therefore deemed mature enough to have a child, mm -hmm. how does that work? Yeah. I mean. I, I think the whole thing is a, is a disaster, it's, and it's constitutionally not okay. <laughs> like, I'm just going to say that a, a billion times. We have, we have cheated the Constitution by adding this workaround. Right, and, so, and, harming, and harming young people in the process. Right. Um, brief story is when I was 21, um, uh, I got a girl pregnant. We obviously didn't need uh, consent. But we had many a conversations, and in fact, my mom was willing to adopt the child, so we didn't have the financial responsibility. Um, but the uh, my ex partner decided to go ahead with the abortion because many reasons. Um, but one of them being, we were twenty one, mm -hmm. and she was looking at her future, at her future, and we. So we went ahead and uh, had the abortion. So. I can't imagine even at 21 feeling mature, like right. being deemed mature enough to make that, like to raise a child. Right. But the decision had to be made and I can't, the words are hard right now, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um, asking that of actual children yeah. is, and pouring that extra weight of, well, I don't want to tell my parents, so I have to get an appointment with a court. 
and a judge or somebody who works with the court to get it. I, and then how do you explain to your parents that you're going to the court system? I was like, 21 and I didn't want to tell my mother about this situation when it right. happened. I was 20 and my mother and I have a really good relationship where we've talked about everything under the sun and I was still at 21 very nervous. I can't roll back to when I was 16 or 15 what I would have done. Right. No, I think the whole thing is a disaster of a plan. Um, I'm glad that you do too. Um, 100%. I mean, like I we've said, as a cisgendered, straight, white man, yeah. I feel my job in this kind of conversation is to listen, amplify voices, and fight for the rights that women should, basic, like basic human rights that people should have right. and reproductive rights. And Just I autonomy. Will, right. It's like, right. that's the right we're talking about. Let's be clear. Like, we're not talking about anything other than a woman's or a person's right to own their own body yeah um and the fact that that is something that is so insanely controversial is mind-blowing and and i think you're right i think that ultimately the the people who this affects are people who have to make these decisions and and your job i think is absolutely correct to be there to support and to listen i think listening is the biggest thing yes 100 percent um Back when I, with my situation, we had talks where at first um, I wasn't sure if I wanted it, and then she wanted it, and then I wanted it. I took a second job. I uh, was looking at an apartment because at that time I was living out of a Volkswagen bus, sleeping right. on friends' couches, so I took a second job to get an apartment. And then when she made the decision, it wasn't a fight. It wasn't too disaster like it was like okay it's your body like right. i may not necessarily fully agree your body here let's go do this together right and, um i think that goes back to imagine if if the situation wasn't like that imagine if this woman was in a tumultuous relationship couldn't go to anyone couldn't talk to anyone and still had to get approval yeah. from the people around her like that right. is mind-blowing i can't imagine but that. that's where we are <laughs> So I definitely, I think that we've touched on a lot of really great points. Um, I don't know if the Zoom was recorded with the with the town hall I don't from know. Planned Parenthood, but I do know that um, next week's town hall is going to be on um, healthcare, and that's going to be on Saturday mm -hmm. at three. Mm -hmm. Saturday at three. So everyone um, register with the Florida Democratic Party and Pasco Democratic Party yes, we will, to do the Zoom link. We will, uh, the campaign Facebook and so campaign social media will put that in, uh, with, when we post this podcast, we'll put it the link in for next week's town hall yes. with that. So everyone can join. Um, we'll be on the town hall, so we hope to see you there. Yes, please come join. Um, I think that it'll be a very informative uh, healthcare town hall. Um, you'll see not only will we be there, but other local candidates will be on the call as well. Mm -hmm. um, so get to know your local Democrats and candidates, and uh, let's, let's do this thing. And if anyone has any questions that they want us to answer on the next podcast, or if they have any about healthcare, or if they have any responses, questions, concerns about what we've said today on reproductive healthcare, please send us a comment, um, either responding to the Facebook post that we'll put. You can send us a message on Facebook. You can send us an email. Um, the email would be connect at danforpasco.com. Um, you're welcome to send us an email. Um, I check those regularly. Dan is on them as well. We'll make sure that we get a response out to you or we'll answer it on the next podcast. And please go to danforpasco.com and donate if you can. Yes. Um, spread the word. And uh, 
let's, like I said, let's win in November. All right. Thank you, guys. See you thank next you. Week.